Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is very, very special. I have with me Dr. Selmer Bringsjord, and we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, uh, true AI, real AI, AGI, the existence of God, and how uh, he's given an argument from AI for God. I'm really excited about this. Um, it's going to be awesome. If you guys like this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon or YouTube members. You can find the links in the description. But let's not do too much commodification today. Let's jump in with Selmer. I, there's so much good stuff that he has to say. So let me just pull him right in. Dr. Bringsjord, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Parker. You might be overselling it. I'll do my best, man. This <laughs> is uh, quite the charitable lead in here. I don't know. Well, I, I've just, I've been taking a deep dive into AI and most of the folks that I've talked with, most of the folks that I've researched or gone to talks and listened uh, to them, most of them have some sort of physicalist bias or, you know, maybe not bias, maybe they have arguments for it or like panpsychist view. So you have this different view and you're an expert in it. So I'm just so jazzed to, to get a new perspective here on the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm happy to share that point of view. I, yeah, I, I really don't think it's for most of them anything other than a bias. Mm. I, I've always wondered, you know, can you actually give a decent argument top to bottom for why, for example, you hold, not you personally, but this group, why you hold that people are thoroughly and completely physical things? It's pretty much hard to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an assumption. Anyway, I, I tend to come at things and have my whole life from the theory first. And theory in the case of the formal sciences, math and formal logic, which I'm most aligned with, tends to posit the existence, going back to Plato in this tradition of things, it's really hard to accept as physical. You know, I don't think transfinite numbers are physical. I don't think algorithms are physical. If algorithms were physical, you know, you could hit one with a hammer. That's really hard. The most you can do <laughs> is an incarnation of an algorithm. And I think people are basically in the same category. You can incarnate them, you can embody them, and we have bodies. Yeah, I love that. And I, I caught that from one of your talks that you you said, look, I'm not, uh, I don't believe in an immaterial realm just because of uh, religious convictions, first and foremost, but probably more so because of uh, abstract objects, like, like mathematical objects. I, I thought that was so cool. Um, be, before we get into some more nitty gritty, uh, I'd love to get, I'd love to introduce you to my audience a little bit more. You're, you're a professor of cognitive science and the director, I think I'm getting this right, of the Rensselaer Polytech, Polytechnic Institute, uh, the AI and Reasoning Lab. Does, does that sound right? That is correct. I have joint appointments in computer science where most of my PhD students over the last, uh, good number of years have come out of. And also I have a joint appointment in the School of Management, the Lally School of Management at RPI. But yeah, my primary home, I think financially somehow is uh, cognitive science and I'm happy about that. And yeah. computational department. So it's, it's really computational cognitive science, but yes. That's awesome. Well, um, so I know that you have some really great papers and you spend your time writing those. But uh, this this business about uh, an AI lab, what 
What do you do in the AI lab for folks who are more familiar with like philosophers of AI and stuff? Right, right. Um, I decided maybe in 81 or 80, um, uh, shortly after I was exposed to some arguments from philosophers of AI claiming that no machine could be intelligent or no machine could understand that um, I was never going to espouse any of those views unless I myself knew top to bottom what was going on in AI. And the only way I could really do that was to start studying AI, hmm. um, which I did. So since that time, um, I've been doing I've been doing that very seriously. And the lab is really an outgrowth of that commitment. I want to try to build with collaborators, intelligent machines, so that if I say something negative or I say something limitative about those machines, no one will be able to say, yeah, but you know, you, you really, you're really just a philosopher. I'm not sure you know how machines work. No, I actually know how at least I don't know how chips work top to bottom, but I know how things work in AI. And really, I want to combine philosophy and deep questions about AI with doing real AI. And mm. uh, that's, that's, that's my modus operandi. See, I love that. That's so good because a lot of the AI skeptics I know are, are philosophers and they go, hey, look, you know, uh, Ned, Ned Block solved this with the Chinese nation and uh, John Searle solved it with Chinese room. It's done. And then some, some of my other friends on the other side will say, well, you, that's so old. That's old hat. That's from the 80s. No one talks about that anymore. You don't understand what's going on in the lab. So I love that you can straddle both. Um, and you have the technical knowledge and the philosophical acumen. It's, that's, that's why I'm so excited about you, man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, thank you. Thank you. I still remember the day I opened the textbook for Intro to AI at Brown University and saw that at that point, uh, the textbook from Charniak and McDermott was all based on pretty much at that time, AI was a very small field intellectually. It was all based on logic and, you know, with, which I had studied quite a bit and intended to keep studying. And so that, that, that was an amazing experience. Um, and yeah, I stuck with it. 
Yeah. Um, well, that, that I, I believe I bought that book because you mentioned it before. It's coming in the mail, I think. But the, the logic point is, is uh, one I really wanted to touch on. I, I think this is kind of a pejorative term now. At least folks like uh, my friend Ben Gertzel will, will not like this term. But, but GoFi, good old-fashioned AI, seems to, it, it's a, in my head, it's a big emphasis on logic. And that's how we're going to solve AI because that's what's most important to thinking or to human cognition. Um, can you help us out with, with like GoFi and, and maybe connectionism to, to help the audience understand these concepts? Yeah. Uh, you're pretty much right about the pejorative aspect of the acronym GoFi. That, and by the way, that's what it stands for. It is a pejorative term, um, but you know, it probably wasn't as explicitly connected to formal logic as some might think at this point. Certainly, symbolic information and processing over it was a huge part of it, but. Uh, an emphasis on formal computational logic was there, a uh, strong part of GoFi, uh, and you're right to mention connectionism. And regardless of how we slice and dice those uh, elements of the the thing, the GoFi thing, connectionism was and continues to be in its modern 21st century incarnations radically different because the fundamental representation scheme is entirely numerical and as a neural network so you have on the one and this has never changed these two horses yeah have been running and we don't have anything else too it's like it's like well where's the third thing um there really isn't a third thing what about a life would would i, I could oh, see someone saying that yeah 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 um uh, someone would have to convince me that the underlying math is 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 you know is is not reducible at some point to either some collection of formal logics and associated machinery for reasoning uh, or, or, an, or an artificial neural network. Uh, now, there are exotic aspects, uh, exotic kinds of things saddled up on both horses, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if one were to say, well, I want to I want to bring some machine to genuine life. This has been said. I, I find that actually a, a much more sensible, believe it or not, objective. I, you know, I want to build a frog. I want to build an artificial, uh, you know, creature that's definitely alive. But I'm not so sure about all this other fancy stuff that people are talking about, including perhaps consciousness. I don't, I don't know. But mm -hmm. no, no higher level cognition per se. Um, it, 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 I think it would be hard to do that without eventually getting pegged as using something in either of these two, let's say, tents or clusters of formalism. So it would be really hard. And today, it's really just the same thing all over again now. We have the attacks on deep learning mm -hmm. coming from the reasoning people pointing out they can't, re none of these large language models can reason at the level of, um, you know, intro to logic. Uh, why is that? Well, regardless, they're attacking uh, artificial neural networks processing it, processing information in the case of something like GPT-4 going forward only in the neural network. And it's a neural network. It's, it's a neural network based approach and very different than using formal logic to handle reasoning. That's why it has so much problem, so many problems. Yeah. Well, I, I found that, um, I, 
in trying to get a grasp on a new topic, I like to look at the history of the topic. And so going back to uh, like the 1950s or whenever, whenever the, uh, the AI, first AI conference was when they, when they coined the term, uh, it's just so fascinating to see these two players uh, and, and they're back and forth. They're writing against each other in the papers. They're losing funding. And it seems like the GoFi folks are kind of uh, beating up on the connectionist folks. And then you look at today and it looks like the neural net guys are winning with chat GPT and with yeah. some of the larger models. It looks like they, they won, but I don't know. You have a better inside uh, grasp on it. Are they, are they still uh, jockeying for position here? Uh, there isn't much jockeying in certain quarters of the technologized part of our planet because this is almost absolute dominance in the case of transformers and large language models. Like, yeah. You know, oh, Microsoft's a pretty big company. Now, the odd thing about Microsoft and OpenAI is that Microsoft previously and still does invest in, could call it GoFi, but SMT solvers are logic-based uh, animals. Are they and expert it, systems? Uh, well, expert systems were definitely all expressible and, use, and um, uh, usable, ultimately, engineering-wise, in terms of computational logic. But that, that's long dead because of an underestimation of human expertise, which, by the way, that, that's happening again. Yeah. So now we have people saying, oh, you know, everybody's going to lose their jobs. I mean, we'll displace white-collar workers. And I've had some great conversations with my son about this, who was in the business world after college for, you know, 10 straight years. Like, hey, Alexander, you're reading this stuff. Can you just actually show me or tell me one white-collar job that could actually be done by GPT-4? I mean, I'm not really sure, but the claim about expertise being machinable and being replaceable with AI is happening all over again in my lifetime. Obviously, yeah. not, a, not a young person. It's the same thing. Um, you know, I remember people saying, that's it. Radiologists, they make a fortune. They're going to be out of a job. AI can just destroy them. And we're still wrestling with this. You know, they can read the scans better. Well, I don't know. Uh, last time I looked, the people I'm dealing with in emergency medicine end up getting, you know, x-rays and other things examined by human radiologists. Maybe the AIs are playing a role. In but that's mm -hmm. happening again. But, you know, you have CEOs of companies with probably something gain saying, yeah, I think about you know, 40 percent of white collar jobs will be done by large language models. Um, well, I don't know. We'll see. Is right it? Now, does it seem like there always have to be uh, an expert human in the loop then? Well, I would say, uh, I would say mathematically, that's probably a theorem for one reason only, perception. Okay. Um, so per perception, well, look, use, I use ChatGPT all the time. I have, you know, tons of sessions. It's great. It's fun. It's fun to trounce and uh, outthink and so forth yeah. and, and then save the uh, transcripts. But when you do that, is it seeing your face? Like I'm looking at your face right now. Mm -hmm. By the way, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're quite, uh, quite an attractive. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, Thanks, I, feel, I feel also ancient because you're so youthful, but <laughs> I appreciate what it. I do. So, they can't see you. They can't, they can't perceive 
anything. Oh. Think of what it would be like to go to work, okay, in your white collar, fine, white collar job. I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing with a perception? I, I, I don't know. I think everybody assumes there'll be some direct information feeds for these, for these machines, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it's all going to be digital directly in because we don't have perception. We don't have attention and perception. And one of my um, closest colleagues and former student, Paul Bellows, an expert on computational attention and perception, we're nowhere. We're absolutely nowhere. So I like to give demos in my, my class where I do some task right at the podium that's physical, also involves reasoning, physical and involves some reasoning to solve a problem, okay, where I have to attend to some items on the podium, perceive them, and then I have to do fine manipulation. So that's the third thing that we, that, that these machines, we are nowhere in the area of fine manipulation within robotics, making progress. So I, I, I'm not sure those are some of the problems. Uh, yeah. and, and you could make this, I said it was mathematical, and I and I think I I think you can easily show that this is the case because if you define high level cognition at a high level of intelligence, so that it includes a capacity for attention, shifting attention, perceiving, and manipulation, well, then you'll have you'll have a low intelligence machine when you're talking about something like GPT four. That's a really good point. Yeah, including more like phenomena going on there. I, I, um, I'm very susceptible to the headlines, just like uh, other folks who are outside looking in. And I thought with the uh, that 2017 paper, attention's all you need. I thought like the the transformer model. I thought they got attention. They they don't have it yet. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, there's attention in internal senses, and one of my colleagues uh, is working and making great progress on using attention in internal processing or an internal, an internal attention sense, hmm. but clearly solving attention as it is modulated, directed, redirected in a scene that is perceived where the scene is physical in the hmm. environment that is non-existent. Okay. It's non-existent. If it were, if it weren't non-existent, then, then the companies uh, who would love to have a, a, a cognitive robot able to negotiate environments quickly and efficiently, efficiently would just show us how to do that. And uh, mm. DARPA's run contests with the best such groups in the world. Just getting a robot to be put down in an arbitrary environment with an arbitrary door, get to the door and open it when it's not a door that they've been trained to open before. And there are a lot of doors. Lot of doors <laughs> yeah. is not currently currently not possible okay currently not possible and one of the examples that my uh, one of my phd students john jack is working on i'll give you an example from emergency medicine just consider the problem of taking capillary refill 
God forbid, you know, you break your wrist or your arm and you have to be splinted. They come and split, split your arm. Before they splint you, they got to make sure that you have circulation or there was sorts of something else. After they split your arm, they will, they will squeeze one of your fingertips and observe, hey, does, do we still have good circulation here? If not, we're going to have to re-splint, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem of building a robot able to splint an arm mm-hmm. with a random break and then take capillary refill with fingers in the robot and see it and make a decision we do not have any systems able to do that uh, in the world today, any robots that can do that. You don't want to break the finger. You have to have tactile sensors in the fingertips. You know, it goes on and on. It's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. Well, um, I meant to ask this earlier, but uh, I'm going to jump back to it. So sorry for the whiplash, but I can imagine when you first started getting into AI that there were some folks who thought you shouldn't do this because it was a dead end or something like that. Um, today it would be, you know... I, make a lot of money. It's profitable. Go start a business and then you can sell it to, to one of the big companies. But were there a lot of naysayers when you told people, hey, I'm going to go study AI? Well, in philosophy, technical philosophy and in, in logic, uh, certainly, certainly mm-hmm. that's the case. But um, yeah, I had a really good, uh, a really good advisor in Roderick Chisholm, now obviously deceased to was capable of impelling me to carry out some meta reasoning about areas of specialization that would make sense and not make sense. And I think the minute he heard that I not only liked logic, but I, that I liked computation, <laughs> he started thinking about the mind and AI. And I was like, well, you know, I've never taken any AI. They say, well, you consider it. And uh, I considered it. I said, that's what, uh, that's what I'm going to do, uh, Professor Chisholm. And uh, that is, uh, for better or worse, others will have to judge what yeah. I did. I, I, it all makes sense now. I know I like you. I love Chisholm. I love Chisholm students, and that makes a lot of sense. I had no idea until you just said that. That's awesome, man. What, what, a, what a legend that that guy is and the, the legacy he's left. That's right, insane. Right. Well, I remember his one, he had a, he had a, yeah. So I told him, he, he said, well, you know, what are some of your, right? What would you like? You have some ideas for areas of specialization. I said, well, yes, I do. You know, I do Uh formal logic. If I could, if I could um, build a bridge between formal logic, you know, and some of the things that, that you, the epistemology, but if I was formal logic in that, and, and then he said, well, you could do that. Um, you might not get a job in so many words in his, in his, you know, I said, okay, well, what would happen if I just did formal logic? And I remember him through his, through his glasses. He, he, uh, he just looked at me and, uh, and, and, uh, he, you know, don't know if it's verbatim. He said, yeah, the second idea you have is actually worse than the first (laughs) that's great that was the end of that yeah wow well okay so it makes sense uh yeah why why you have emphasized logic so much and and uh can use that so well that that's really cool um i wanted to get just some just a grasp on some of the terms that people use today um maybe we could talk about like strong ai weak ai narrow ai 
real AI, AGI. Can you can you give us a taxonomy of, of the AIs on offer, I guess? I can give you such a thing. It might not be accurate primarily yeah. because uh, at this point, I'm acutely frustrated. It is dynamic and continuous. I just saw something, I believe, from the National Science Foundation where they're, they're using strong AI um, as sort of... Uh, nothing like what it originally meant, which was yeah. you have to target consciousness and say, literally, you're going to build a computing machine that is subjectively aware and has full-blown consciousness in that sense, a sense of inner feeling that you're well acquainted with also through philosophy. It used to mean that. Then the opposite side, weak AI would be, no, 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 that's, that's, I don't want to deal with that, that problem. So I'll just go with behavior. Yeah. And uh, that always made sense to me because then I was able to say, so that's the original distinction, weak AI in terms of the taxonomy, weak AI, build a machine that by all behavioral indicators is intelligent, but might not literally be conscious, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then strong AI, well, yeah, the whole nine yards behaviorally and it's, it's conscious. And that allowed me for a long time, my friend Bill Rappaport still knows me as this, as this in terms of the labels, strong, weak AI. So you just combine both adjectives and that has, that had great meaning because you would say that is someone who says, yeah, but the behavior courtesy of exquisite engineering as we go forward can get so amazing that we'll not be able to tell the difference between a human person hmm. and one of these machines. They would be androids, clearly. Yeah. Um, and that made sense. Now, weak AI means something like, uh, you're not trying to cover the whole gamut of intelligence at the human level. And then strong would be something roughly aligned with AGI, artificial general intelligence, which would mean, no, 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 no. We're going to strive to cover in replication everything that a human can do or i prefer human level because of some formalisms and hierarchies abstract away from talking whether we're talking about humans or whether we're talking about machines or whether we're talking about aliens or whether we're talking about you know angels it doesn't matter we got to have a in my opinion we have to have a formal way of measuring so that takes care of old weak old strong strong weak new weak which is synonymous roughly with narrow ai would be, well, we won't cover all these, like a transformer. Right? Mm-hmm. So chatting or drawing digital images off of the correlation that we have in the data between images and text, that would be, that would be exceedingly narrow. I, what I was talking about before, where let's say the robot can start talking to you about the injury that it's dealing with. You're there as a human paramedic, and then it solves the problem top to bottom. That would be, that would be, that's probably an AI, there's another term for you here, an AI complete uh, uh, performance, an AI, com- because an AI complete problem would be roughly analogous to the use of hyphen complete in parts of computer science. If you say that something is dash complete, you mean, well, success on this problem would allow you so much leverage that you could basically say, you've got the whole thing solved and yeah. then you can reapply elsewhere the progress that you, that you, so, um, I don't know if I've covered all of them. Shoot one at me that. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's really helpful. I, I wonder about, um, the G in AGI, um, because 
uh, some people look at ChatGPT or GPT four, however we're we're talking about it, and they say, well, look at the look at the training set. It's it's like everything on the web. And so if that's not general, you know, it can do this, it can do the bar exam, it can do this, it can it can generalize. It looks like if that's not general, if that's not AGI, then what is? And then yeah. others, I think Gertzel would say like it has to go beyond its training set or it needs to be able to make this leap into the unknown and use some continental uh, philosophy language, which scares me and freaks me out. But uh, I'm, I'm confused on, on the G. I, I will try to help, but <laughs> might not. Uh, you know, I've known Ben for a long time. Uh, I have not spent as much time with it, with him as I would like. Uh, I have grown to realize that, uh, Ben is not only, well, okay. You know, everybody in this game. So he's, uh, he's brilliant. But the problem that I think a lot of people have is they're, 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 they're kind of short on wisdom hmm. in, in intellectual uh, pr pursuits, including AI. And, uh, and Ben, uh, Ben is a wise person. So you combine those two things, I'm not saying he's right about everything, right? I, many disagree, but he is, um, um, you know, he's wise. Hmm. So, okay. Back to your question about the data. Uh, we know as a matter of relatively simple, uh, observation and math and logic that whatever the data is available that's being taken from the web and from the digitization. And then we have to have, of course, tokenization, vectorization, and matricization of all of this. It's all numerical. We know the data available far, far below capacity. So it can't work. I mean, mm. this is not, it's amazing that, you got to be careful because people who who are naysayers on this basic, maybe they stand to make money by not admitting mm -hmm. it. So, you know, right. here's a simple example. We know that mathematics itself requires third order logic to some degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. We know this is an absolute fact. Information on the web that's declarative has generally been attacked by a tiny fragment of logics available that do not have the expressivity even for the most part of first order logic mm -hmm. so I, I would say and everyone who knows the formal terrain that i've ever talked about this says of course that's right i can't believe these people are getting carried away suppose someone says yes but i want to i want a machine to compete with a genuine mathematician or logician out there so i want them to reason at that level well, the problem is there's no data about how they reason at that level. The only thing we have are a few scant little things they produce when they publish it. You'd have to, you'd have to like get inside their minds and record what's happening. Look at their notebooks. Look at their their mental image. You, 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 the data's not there, and mm. so we're a lot. We're being for higher level intelligence. I'm using math as an example. The data is not there. It can't be there. So now we have the problem. Well, is the data ever going to get there? Because if we want to do end-to-end -end deep learning, we need the data. They're, they're hmm. just definition what it is. Well, I don't see how, okay? In the case of second-order and higher-order logic, what we have is data from the people who generally are doing this computationally, but they're not mathematicians. They're working on the machinery. They're not producing the data 
okay? That's yeah. produced by actually doing it. It's, it's like the difference between a great novelist, okay, and someone who says, hey, you know, I figured out how to handle the syntax that gives you the uh, allowable space of sentences if you're Marcel Proust. I, I figured out basically his syntax. Well, great, but he could have written another novel before he, you know, or if he lived longer, he could have written another novel. So you don't have that data, right? Hmm. No. Does that matter? Well, yeah, that, that could really matter if you're doing deep learning. So this is a problem that I assume uh, in large measure Ben fully appreciates. And I agree with him as well when he says, well, we need something to go beyond the data. That would be in the realm of what I've uh, long talked about along with others, that would be creativity. I mean, if creativity isn't by definition to go beyond available data in prior cases, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Now, some people have deflationary views of creativity as mere sort of problem solving, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's kind of why we consider Proust to be a literary genius. <laughs> yeah. You've talked about about um, speed not, not getting us there and about uh, how there's there's not like predictable, uh, there's not antecedents of, of like Proust that could uh, predict Proust and stuff like that. Like, it looks like there's just kind of some fire of creativity that pops out of somewhere, but not a uh, predictable uh, determination or something like that. Yeah, that's, that would be, that would be my view. The, the person who has, as I say, uh, a sort of deflationary view, um, a less elevated view of creativity would say, well, I don't know where it is, but somewhere out there, there's uh, an antecedent, to use your term, for Proust. By the way, I've used, I've used Proust. I, I love to use Proust because I've, that. I've been reading Proust and studying Proust uh, as a hobby uh, since, since I was uh, just out of high school. And you know what? Last time, I'm not going to give any names. I'm just going to say, you know, uh, I, was, uh, I was at a cocktail party. You know, so the scholar there from the humanities, they say, well, you know, this great thing about this AI thing is, you know, there really isn't anything new. All, all fiction is just recasting previous stuff. So I'm pretty sure this is going to work for allowing us to have machines that create amazing fiction. And, and I, you know, said, well, do you mind if I propose a counterexample? Because you can correct me on the spot and then I'll go away humble. What's the, what's the antecedent to Marcel Proust exactly? A uh, 499-word sentence that not only is perfectly coherent, but, coherent, but advances the narrative. Nothing. Yeah. Never seen it. Maybe somebody in the audience or sent me an email. Love to see it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, okay, so another thing that I think that I've picked up on in AI, in the history of AI, is that there, there's like, uh, there's twin or or dual goals of AI theorists and uh, builders uh, mapping the mind and mimicking the mind. Some folks are like, oh, we want to figure out, maybe we'll backfill, maybe we'll backpropagate uh, our own human brain or human mind once we make this AGI or something that's human level. Uh, and the others are like, you know, all right, who cares? Uh, let, we, let's produce the same products that the human produces. Yeah. I, I wonder, so it, it sounded like when, when we talked about, when we were talking about AGI more, it sounded like um, you make this really great point often about mathematical precision. Uh, you made this point when it comes to uploading your uh, mind into a computer. It's like, well, give me a mathematical precise definition of uploadable before I sign on to this. And I, I, it's such a 
hard nose point because everyone else is dreaming and you're like, no, let's get back down to earth and let's get mathematical on it. But I, I wonder if some folks might just go fine. I, I don't, um, I'm not sure that I can give a mathematically precise definition of what a mathematician is doing in their head or in their mind, but this right. age, this AGI can produce the same product. So who cares if, you know, getting really uh, pragmatic about it. What what would you say to that? Well, honestly, uh, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure this topic out sociologically and also sorted out in terms of some kind of breakdown, some kind of taxonomy in the people doing AI. Because Mm. on the one hand, so you're you're very right to put your finger on this. It's extremely murky. On the one hand, you have people who, if the go if the going gets tough in debate with skeptics about AI, will say, paraphrasing, don't you really need to shut up? I mean, after all, what else are we look at our brains? They are neural networks. So, you know, and that's us. Okay. That so that's an appeal to we've already got the essence of what we are covered, and we're going to exploit that we do through artificial neural networks. Okay, but then but then you have people who, when the going gets tough, will say, "Oh, gee, uh, well, I'm happy that you're skeptical, but you see, the problem is if you check back with me in three years." And and why don't you just do that? You know, just call me back. I won't call you. You call me back in three years and tell me whether this got knocked down or not. I'm pretty sure it'll be knocked down. Mm-hmm. So that that's those are the behavior focused people who are just so that they're not appealing to some essentially metaphysical reality or metaphysical alignment between what we are at a deep level. And what we already have computationally, they're just saying, I trust the engineering. It's going along reasonably well. AI is the phrase I hear all the time. AI is a young field. Hmm. Totally untrue. <laughs> 50, yeah. 56 is the modern. You know, I, I, I think we need to check our history books. Uh, I think Leibniz was, for example, thinking really rigorously about whether the mind could be computational you know top to bottom so i have not sorted out sort of this difference in modern ai and computational cognitive science it's very much there Hmm. um by the way i think a problem for the first camp in terms of uh brain science and specifically computational neuroscience is that that's fungible too right Hmm. it's not like our brains are set Maybe they currently are, but I don't think we're going to stop with Apple goggles and Apple headset. We're going directly into the brain. We're going to start monkeying around with the brain. Our, you know, the essence of what we are has really, for practical reasons, ultimately, I think if we're honest, little to do current with what we currently have for neural hardware. and. Hmm. Of course, in my case, I don't think the essence of what we are corresponds to neural hardware. I think we use this hardware just like I can use it for. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Dr. Brinkert, uh, would you would you stand behind the the label of substance dualist then? Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm very definitely I'm property dualism is really hard 
if if one is honest and understands what that means, uh, um, I think it's really hard to deny property dualism in the mind. Hmm. And I mean, the the mental property of perceiving that Parker perceives Selmer and so forth. Um, is that physical? Mm -hmm. If it is, I'm looking forward to seeing how it's going to be not just correlated with the brain state, but identified with the brain state. Ain't going to work. Possible. And many people have, it's just outside of philosophy, especially outside of sort of, you know, modern analytic philosophy, people still have no idea about the difficulties associated with maintaining uh, the denial of property dualism. But I am a substance dualist. And I really start with um, the fact, going back to what we talked about almost at the beginning, I, I, I think there really is, um, for example, I really think there is a thing called quicksort. So I, 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 really, I think there is an algorithm. I think Tony, I might be wrong, Tony Hoare, always get that. I think he discovered quicksort. How to sort, you know, n arbitrary numbers uh, with remarkable efficiency using this algorithm. So mm -hmm. in goes the jumbled numbers, out comes the sorted list of them. Um, okay, now, what is that thing, quick sort? It's a real thing, because if someone gets it, understands it, they can then write down a unique inscription to denote it. Yeah. So I find it impossible not to be, if you will, some kind of, and I'm using the adjective substance, substance dualist in the case of what I call logico-mathematical objects and other people have called them such. Yeah. Now, all right, people, yeah, I believe that they're non-physical. Do they have, do they have bodies? Of course they have bodies. They use their bodies. Um, what, what is the thing that would persist if their body's destroyed and they get a new body or they get an improved body or a new part of their body? Well, people, I suppose, have called that a soul. I would just say, um, you know, Chisholm talked about this. So, well, if, we, if we're going with the soul stuff in philosophy, maybe theology is okay. But if we're doing that in philosophy, now we have souls, minds, bodies, people. That seems like too many, too many categories. Yeah. So I would just say people are non-physical or persons are non-physical and they have bodies. Yeah. And uh, if they lose their bodies, they can persist, which, you know, by the way, is a problem that, that Leibniz uh, worked on quite a bit because he had all these he had all these people. Uh, you may know this a lot of lot of you know religious um, believers uh, in the Christian tradition um, freaking out about the fact that if their bodies decayed, their the atoms in their bodies would be would be distributed all over. And how could how could they come? You know, and and Leibniz, Leibniz had to had to basically you know paternalistically explain. Well, you see, if if we just just make a few assumptions about the nature of what a person is. Uh, we can work this out. Yeah. Yes, I'm a, I'm a substance dualist. We are not uh, physical things. That's that's awesome. Yeah, me too. I've I've had a lot of uh, substance dualist uh, propaganda on the show, uh, or or really good arguments actually. But um, real quick, just jumping back to to quick sort. Uh, I think you mentioned. I, I think you already explained this, but do you think that? Uh, Quicksort was an 
an abstract object that existed eternally or was it like a is it like an impure abstracta that was like not it's not not quite on par with like uh, the form of a triangle or uh, you know abstract propositions but was you know some somehow like still created or it has different uh, existence conditions or something i guess yeah no great question one of the fundamental questions uh, in the in this space yeah no it wasn't creation if it was whore, we should Google it. Uh, at the at the moment, it was pre-existing, and, um, and in my opinion, and he uh, discovered it. Okay, I would say the same thing about the number seven. Yeah, you know the number. We can have we can have constructions that make a lot of sense formally, so that we don't end up in trouble in logic and mathematics we can construct seven we can have a set theoretic approach etc but the number seven itself that guided us all along we knew where we wanted to get to when we're yeah. doing that so the whole thing is I've long been you know a bit hysterical to some philosophers of mine it's like well they yeah those 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 formalists you know uh Doing their thing, they, they yeah, they got they got a theory of of numbers and where they come from, but the thing is, didn't they didn't they have a grasp of the number before they did that? So I'm I'm a little curious about hmm. what. But yeah, well, I, I wonder what you would make of, uh, and we don't have to stick on this too too long. But what, what do you make of like the story, uh, the Lord of the Rings? Like, is that on par? Uh, do you think Tolkien discovered that story, or um, did he invent it? I guess because now we're at the yeah, intersection of creativity and discovery. Right. Yeah, I would say I would say uh, that's different. Okay. And it's not going to be any different in the practice of logic and mathematics. I'm not going to say across the board that everything was discovered. Okay. Um, uh, that that's. But I am going to say that about quicksort. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, I'm going to say that is analogous to that is a kind of creativity extreme literary creativity uh i would i would say that's roughly analogous to uh to divine creativity mm. now are some of the elements uh indeed uh discovered in pre-existing sure but overall um i would say that's i would say that's different uh, so i would say a lot of what Hoare did is very different than just discovering um just discovering you know, quicksort. I, I think there's some kind of unbelievably complex, don't know whether we'll ever penetrate it in science, maybe we will, thing going on when people are both, um, you know, sufficiently intelligent, uh, highly creative, and persistent and detail-oriented. Though when you put those three things together, you can end up with, um, for me, things that are way beyond discovery and boom, it's done. Uh, and even when the discovery happens, persistence and um, this detail-oriented mindset is required to specify it in communication. Hoare could have said, gee, I got it. It's in my mind. Now I'm going on vacation. But fortunately, uh, some gifted people don't don't do that, yeah, and share it, and uh, and technology arrives, and the world in in that at least in in that sense gets better. That's awesome. I, I'm I'm so glad to hear you say that you think uh, Tolkien 
Tolkien's authorship is roughly analogous to to God's uh, or the creativity therein. Uh, I wrote my master's thesis uh, defending that point. So I I I knew I'd like you, man. This is awesome. Uh, I I wanted to talk a little bit about God because you um, I've heard in in several talks you you mentioned you're a Christian. I'm a Christian as well, so that's awesome. And you also have this argument from AI to God, and and it's different uh, than other arguments that use AI to co- co- corroborate uh, different mathematical systems or use girdle or whatever but this is right. from ai to god this is a, a big thing i mean it's a whole huge paper it's really technical and stuff but i wonder if you could just give us a characterization of it i'll, I'll link to the paper so my uh my listeners can read it themselves but yeah can you help us with it uh i can try uh, um yeah i i would say first um i have to give credit to folks in Romania where I, I love Romania and um, my time in Romania and the conversations there with folks and thinking about a lot of things there plays, plays a role in this, uh, in this argument. And um, it, it might not be an argument that anybody thought, who knows, but uh, I have to say that first um, and, and they know who they are. Um, by the way, I'm not an, in the narrow sense, I'm not an Orthodox Christian. I'm an Orthodox Christian, but I'm not I'm not part of the Orthodox Church. We, sure. you know, it's, it's tricky, right? And Romania generally has a very strong um, presence there for that. But the argument really distills to uh, one s- simple assertion, and that is that what we're seeing happen before our eyes in the advance of AI, in my opinion, is the construction of hunter-gatherers 200,000 years ago, 250, whatever it is, doing what they did at the time that did not require higher level comp. Didn't need analysis. You didn't need the calculus hmm. from Leibniz and Newton to go pick berries and hunt down game. Hmm. Teamwork, sure. I, you know, I got the social thing and that's what people, but you didn't need the calculus. You need the calculus to send a rocket ship ship up to do anything sensible without just showing off or trying to get attention, uh, to, uh, trying to get the attention of investors. Um, so there's something very odd going on then. And, and, and if, if this is what AI is really doing, is producing a robot that can operate, okay, at the observable level of a hunter-gatherer, we do have a bit of a problem. Hmm. Um, where's the rest of it? Where did the rest of it come from? And this is what divided Darwin and Wallace originally, both co-discoverers of evolution by mutation and natural selection. So that's really where I start. And um, I'm demanding an explanation for the acute limitation of AI in this regard. And somebody might say, oh, no, we're, we've got the higher level. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you're getting communication. And boy, did those hunter-gatherers need to communicate. Um, uh, I, I'm just not seeing the stuff that has been essentially a theme in our conversation, which is the best of what we do, the best of what our technology is based on, uh, it's been collaboration and cooperation to produce those rocket ships, but um, 
you know, we got to take this amazing dimension in human mentation seriously. And I think if we take it seriously, we have trouble explaining it. And AI is not explaining it. AI is doing the opposite. AI mm -hmm. is producing for us a very difficult question. Um, this is what we can get. This is the level we can get. Uh, hopefully the robotics problems I mentioned before are all worked out. You have to be able to throw a spear and things like that. We can't do that. But I believe we're going to get there. Um, but we show no progress against the, the uh, amazing gifts that humans have. And consciousness is one of them and, mm -hmm. and, and a big one. You know, we're not making any progress toward uh, producing a machine that leverages the fact that not only has consciousness, but leverages that, exploits that it's conscious to get things done. Mm. We don't have that. We're, there's nobody even working on it because we have no formal no third-person formal description of what subjective awareness or phenomenal consciousness is. We got the same problem there. So AI keeps advancing and advancing and advancing, but it pl it's placing before us this question. And I start with that question and look at the possible explanations for it, and there ain't too many. Uh, <laughs> you got Stephen Jay Gould saying, "Well, it was a you know it was a straight mutation <laughs> in our case, um, and it sat dormant." for 200,000 years. Mm, that seems fairly ad hoc to me. That seems like that conforms to actually the fallacy of ad hoc reason. But that's okay. He was otherwise brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where it starts, and the argument uh, proceeds from there. Um, and uh, that's why I call it the argument from AI. I love that. And um, it's, it's, it's targeting that that Partially, it's arguing the notion that the rising tide lifts all ships. And so where, where we once started with flint axes, that got us to calculus because this overproduction in our uh, capacities through our frontal cortex growing. Or maybe we took mushrooms. I hear that one from the Joe Rogan podcast all the time, the stoned ape theory. And, and it's just like, man, I, I don't see it. So what I appreciate about your argument is that... Um, it has some similarities to planning as evolutionary argument against naturalism or Tom Crisp's uh, take on that, where he limits it to like abstruse metaphysical uh, theories, which would include naturalism itself. But um, yeah, AI yeah, is yeah. showing that AI is just, it's like a practical example of that where it's like, look, you guys look at this AI look what it doesn't need to be conscious to do this stuff. Um, so then why, if it can do it without consciousness, why would we ever evolve consciousness? If, it, where's the rising tide lifting them to consciousness or to, um, you know, uh, abstruse metaphysical beliefs or to modal logic on its own or whatever the case? Yeah, yeah, um, correct. And we have a fundamental dividing line. Mm. We know that AI is based on what a Turing machine can do and nothing more maximally. Okay, this this is the basis of AI mathematically and in mm. theoretical computer science. So all we need is very good reason to hold. I claim it's provable. Very good reason to hold that much of what we do requires information processing beyond a Turing machine. Mm -hmm. Then everything falls into place very quickly. 
You have an immediate problem with evolution as it's usually defined because it is, look at Dennett. He bragged about the fact that evolution is just, a, just a, an algorithm. It's a Turing level process. Yeah, big problem, Dan. You know, there's a, there's a theorem right out of the box when you take your first comp sci class that has any theory. One machine at level L cannot produce another machine at level L prime where L prime is more powerful than L. So how the heck would it be that we'd have this capacity? And then you have, then you have the, the theological implications immediately because where would this capacity have come from otherwise? So yeah, I do see an affinity with those, uh, with the folks that you mentioned very much. Yeah. Uh, I do think for me, it's all going to distill uh, to this, the hierarchy that I'm, that I'm implicitly referring to. You can do it computationally. You can also do it just in terms of uh, formal logic, just in terms of being able, being able to answer, you alluded to modal logic, being able to answer queries regarding information expressed in a logic as the logic gets more and more expressive, okay? Mm -hmm. And as the query gets harder and harder, that almost immediately takes you into the realm beyond what AI is. Okay, this is, you know, I remember Marv, was it Marvin Minsky years, years ago, I was just a young guy, you know, he's giving a talk in Boston, he's, you know, like, I raised my hand and say, well, why don't you draw a box? If we draw a box and we're talking about all the functions from the natural numbers to the natural numbers, you, you're really going to tell me that we're leaving aside all the functions that are uncomputable? Me? So it's really just a microscopically thin part of the box. And that's what you think we are. And though, and though we discovered the entire box and we charted the whole space. So anyway, you're, you're right. But I'm getting close to the witching hour here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That, that's a great place to, to, uh, to stop. I'd love to have you back on. There's uh, some questions about hypercomputation. Uh, oh, yeah, hyper hyper that's what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, right. And, and, and we're getting right there. Um, maybe we could pick that up next time. But you had this great line about Girdle's incompleteness showing that... Uh, it's a math, the, um, the singularity is a mathematical uh, impossibility. I'd love to talk about that. Um, thanks so much for your time, uh, Dr. Brings-Yord. Uh, this has been fantastic. Please, please come back on and school us some more on AI. Parker, it's a pleasure having been here with you. Thanks for the great questions. And yes, indeed, I look forward to uh, chapter two. Awesome. Well, folks, that's going to have to do it for us for now. This has been Parker's Pensies. And as always, all glory to God. <laughs>